0: This is John twenty nineteen to 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said that, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. These gospel stories are written for a purpose, it seems. John isn't just writing history here. The gospel writers have an agenda. If we don't take time to think about why they are writing, what they are writing, we miss the point. The point of this story isn't that Jesus appeared in the room without unlocking the door. We speculate and ruminate about that a great deal. We are so interested in what happens to us after our resurrection. We want to know what kind of bodies we will get. We look at the details of the story and we try to make educated guesses. But I don't think we can hang too much on this detail, other than to affirm that we will have bodies and they will be different from the bodies we have now. And that is because the point of the story isn't about the kind of bodies that we'll have. We read this story and we're told that Jesus breathed on them and instructed them to receive the Holy Spirit. And we wonder, when was the Spirit given? Was it given here? Or was it given on the day of Pentecost? Did some receive the Spirit here and others a few days later? But the timing of the giving of the Spirit isn't the main point here. Jesus is certainly sending His disciples. And John wants us to know that it isn't possible to be sent without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the qualification, the main qualification, for doing the work of Jesus in the world. Don't attempt to do His work without the Spirit present to guide and enable. But there's still a deeper point being made here. Jesus talks about the forgiveness of sins, and we debate whether humans have the power to forgive sins or not. The English translation here seems to indicate that the disciples of Jesus can do it. And yet we have the story of Mark 2, where we are reminded that only God can forgive sins, and that if Jesus forgives sins, then He's claiming equality with God, which He is, thankfully. However, there is something about the way jesus attends the work of his followers that will allow them to reiterate the promises of jesus interpreting the gospel and proclaiming with confidence that god will keep his promises to us especially the promise to forgive our sins and to accept us but even this isn't the main point here we are the disciples are locked in a room, sequestered away for fear of the Jews, not a confident bunch, and Jesus appears, and John records the meeting. Peace be with you, Jesus says. They are are affirmed in their faith despite the lack of it. They encounter the risen Christ, and they rejoice, which is only appropriate. But Thomas is not there. And Thomas, well, he has seen death before. And he knew what happened to Jesus. And Thomas wasn't anybody's fool. People don't come back from the dead. And he probably thinks that Peter has just gotten everyone all stirred up to believe that Jesus is risen. And let's face it, the other ten disciples did see Jesus, or so they said, and, and their faith was completely based on what they had seen for themselves. In fact... If we didn't have this story of Thomas, you might be thinking the same way Thomas thought. Your doubts and Thomas's doubts might just line up, and no shame on you. Centuries later, you might be sitting there thinking, what if those early disciples got it wrong? What if they just talked themselves into believing that Jesus was alive to, to alleviate their grief or something like that? But right from the beginning, John, the Gospel writer, addresses our doubt through the eyes of Thomas. Thomas is here in this gospel for you, to speak for you. For all of us who have trouble believing, unless we see with our own eyes, Thomas expresses our doubt. Thomas expresses our caution. Thomas resists anything that feels like herd mentality. Thomas will not be duped. Thomas demands definitive proof that what the disciples have seen isn't a ghost or some spirit or some other figment of their imagination. He puts his fingers right in the wound. It's a little gross, don't you think? Pretty earthy stuff. But this is as definitive as Thomas could get. There was no faking that touch. Thomas is here in the story to offer as much proof as possible, given the circumstances. Thomas functions just like the centurion. Thomas functions just like Peter on the beach. Thomas functions just like Paul on the road to Damascus. These are all included because they are the best examples of, of well, what? Well, look at verse 30 and 31 in the passage. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Did you catch verse 30? There are lots of other things Jesus did to verify the truth of his resurrection. There isn't time or paper to write them all, but these examples are written that you may believe. Why is it so important that you believe? You who don't have the privilege of seeing Jesus in the flesh, who don't have the privilege of touching the wounds in Jesus' hands, well, the reason is right here. It's in believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that you have life, eternal life. The centurion story cries out, If you had seen the way Jesus died, even the most battle-hardened, cynical, jaded soldiers among us, even you would have believed that this man was the Son of God. The story of Peter tells us that even those who have forsaken Jesus can find their way back into his family. The story of Paul proves to us that even the enemies of God can become the brothers and sisters of Christ. And the story of Thomas proves to us that Jesus isn't afraid of our doubts and that even the most skeptical, doubting, hard to convince among us will find that Jesus is more than willing to meet us more than halfway so that we can have life in him. These stories are given to us, to you, that you may have life in Jesus' name. And when John desires life for you, He isn't thinking just heaven. He's thinking life here and now. I recently saw a remake of that old Disney movie, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. In this modern remake of a portion of the Arthurian legend, the hero is a techno geek who hides away in his science lab, afraid to really live the, afraid to really leave the safety of his seclusion and laboratory. When he finally gets caught up in the danger and excitement of the adventure, his friend exclaims to him, Hey, I don't know what you're doing, but man, you are finally participating. What does he mean? The life that John is describing is life here and now. A journey from dead-end existence to significant active living. A shift from dark to light. A transition from futility to meaning and purpose. An exchange of the goals imposed by the society for the embracing of the mission of God. The mission to love the world. In short, real living now and real life later. I didn't say carefree. I didn't say happy all the time. I didn't say without risks. I didn't say without trouble. Anything you engage in, any time you engage in the important life-giving adventures that Christ continually hands to his followers, there is opposition, difficulty, and strain. But this new life in Christ, it is living that makes a difference, that creates meaning that has the ability to bring the same new life to the dark corners of the world. That's the kind of life I want. I want to participate in the mission of God, to love the world, to flourish in His life, to live with purpose and meaning, to make a difference in the lives around me. I want to really live, and I hope that you do too. And so I pray that you will adopt Thomas's proclamation today, when after touching the wounds in Jesus' side, he responds to Jesus, My Lord and my God, make Jesus your Lord.
1: My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed, I trust the ever-living One, His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that He died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves, this ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to Him, He'll never cast me out. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that he died for me let's
0: pray together lord jesus we pray that we would have the life that you desire for us that by believing in your name we will have full life here and now and life forever may we live always to your glory in the abundant life you desire for us in the name of christ we pray Amen.